look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Basil Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. This has got a little bit of a weird setup we've got here. We've got some technology issues. Surprise, surprise, it's COVID time. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of just going back and forth on, in, in the studio and trying to figure this out. So I'm, I'm actually disoriented. <laughs> I'm actually disoriented on this. It's normally not like this. So it's, it's going to be an interesting show today. Well, it, it, listen, it will be an interesting show once we get over all the technical hurdles. But we've got a terrific guest today. Um, you know, we talk to a lot of people um, about markets and the word that gets often used is surprised, surprised by how quickly things fell, was surprised by the pandemic. I'm surprised by how quickly things have come back. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And I think um, David Fingold, a recurring guest um, on the show, has got some interesting insights that might take away some of that surprise. Well, you want to talk about surprises. Mm. Let's talk about what came out of the Senate committee this week. Okay. You're talking about the universal basic income the, conversation? The universal basic income conversation, yes. So the Senate committee recommended it uh, that Canada should look at a universal basic income. And I think this is going to cause a lot of debate, a lot of conversation. Our, our team at the economics group at CIBC has put some verbiage around things to consider or think about. But I wanted to get, you know, your take on it. What are, what are your thoughts of this UBI? And let's kind of go through some of the things that's what we're hearing from, from listeners of the show. Yeah. Well, it's going to get contentious, clearly. Um, if your, your take on the universal basic income, we'll call it the UBI going forward, uh, is, about, is about keeping people at home, disincenting them to work, Right. That's gonna, if that's the mindset of what this is, you can see how that's going to resonate with different groups, some positively, some negatively. Um, if, you're in, you know, if the intent of the UBI, Faisal, is to replace other programs because we've got a, a changing economy, the gig workers, as an example, right, um, sometimes fall between the cracks in the traditional support mechanisms. Is it to replace all of those uh, and clean it up? Well, maybe that's a different outcome. But and I could go on. The point is, is that there's going to be a, and there should be an awful lot of debate about what this looks like, what a basic level of income should be. As a Canadian, how do we feel about that? Are there strings attached to it? One of the conversations or many of the conversations I've had is if somebody's receiving this, should they be required to be reeducating themselves on something and retraining, retraining? Yeah. yeah what, you know, whatever. So this is going to be a very active debate. One that I'm actually, I encourage, I don't, you know, I don't think this is about supporting people that don't want to work to disincent people to work. I don't think that's the intention. Um, could there be some people that, that fall into that? There could be. But I think that there is something here to help basic Canadians uh, have a survivable, livable wage, uh, support a family. And we can create incentives to work to increase productivity in this country. You're so optimistic, Mr. Popovich. I'm, I'm trying my best, buddy. You know, the, the thing with that, that optimism uh, I, I love, the, the question that I have is, do we have the right makeup of government? We have a minority government right now. So will this be addressed this year? Probably not because of the pandemic, but it has to be tabled. 
and the $2,000 a month CERB that people got uh, or have, are receiving, I think, are is the line that's going to be talked about. Is $2,000 the right number? Is it per person? Is it per adult? What is it? Right. Like, you know, and those, those, what I'm hearing from our listeners is why we have an EI program. We have child tax benefits. We have a welfare system. Why give them a guaranteed source of income? Some of these programs like EI run out after a certain period of time. So you're motivated to do something. And so our listeners are saying, I never had this program. Why should we have this program going forward just because of the pandemic? When we get back to what's called a new normal, maybe we should just go back to normal. And, and listen, I think that is going to be the crux of the debate. And, and so I'm not saying I want, to, I want a program in place to disincent people to work. That is exactly the opposite of what I want. Uh, I have riffed before on this show about raising the productivity of Canadians, right? We, la- we lag in this area. There is an opportunity as a country to, um, to continue to re-educate, retrain, and, and, and increase it. Now, there were, there's always been programs, but for a very long time there's been programs in place, social security, welfare systems, and so on and so forth. And again, is this a replacement of those? Is it an add-on to those? These are all really important questions that we need to get to the bottom of. And uh, what I, what I, we're going to have the conversation, is my opinion. I think this is coming. We're going to have it. So I encourage everybody to start thinking about what it, what's the outcome? What do we want this to actually do as a society? And that's ultimately what we have to vote for and we have to educate ourselves on and those around us to get the best outcome as a country. You know, when you, when you talk about retraining, and educating whose responsibility is it is it the citizens of this country's responsibility to educate and retrain the individual meaning they have to pay for it Mm -hmm. or is it the individual meaning they have to realize that you know their job or their their former job or employment is not going to be there anymore and so they got to retrain themselves and find out what they want to do and go through that journey themselves or is it business? Is it big business or corporations that need to say, I need this certain skill set. It's not available easily in the market. I'm willing to train the individual. Whose responsibility is it to train and retrain? There's going to be a lot of jobs lost in this pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of businesses shut down. There's going to be industries that are going to be shut down. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some retraining. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whose responsibility do you think it is? question is, does it have to be one or the other? Or can it be all? Is there a joint role to play in all of those things? And I think it, it, to some extent, it, it starts with, again, the debate around what's the purpose? What are we trying to accomplish from this? And I'm pretty distinctly Canadian in this respect. So I think that everybody has a role to play, but ultimately an individual is the one that has to step up, right? They're the one that has to receive this new information and retrain, develop new skills, re-educate, so on and so forth. But but I think there's a role for, for everybody to play here. Taxes are going to be an issue. I can just hear people on the other end of the line right now screaming about my taxes are going up. We, again, what, is it a replacement? Is it new money? Don't know. Those are all important aspects to the debate. What I'm encouraging right now is knowing that this has been tabled. We can't shy away from it now. No matter your position, you've got to educate yourself about this. And we need to now have a very active dialogue to get the very best outcome that we can as a country. 
great, great points. And I think, you know, we would like to encourage all of you listeners to, to reach out to, to not only um, us about your thoughts, but also to your member of parliament. I think this is going to get to that level sooner or later, yeah. and we might as well have these conversations now and get ahead of the curve. And, and speaking of getting ahead of the curve, how do you outperform in a portfolio? Well, we've got a great guest coming up after the break talking about how he beat the market already. You know, we've seen some negative numbers in the market, both sides of the border. Indexes, yeah. He's crushing it. How's he doing it? What's his secret sauce? That's going to be a great piece. And how do you actually bulletproof your retirement? You know, we've got a webinar coming up on Tuesday, July 21st, 7 p.m., live online. Now, you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register All right, stick around after the break because we are going to talk to a portfolio manager about the discipline he's using to just crush the indexes. That after the break, you're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. So we're uh, uh, blessed to be joined by a recurring guest that we've had on in the past, uh, but a gentleman that's done extremely well in both taking advantage of uh, some of the mispricing opportunities in the market, but also avoiding the pitfalls. So we're happy to be joined by David Fingold, Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager of Dynamic Funds. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so we've got to do justice in a very short period of time, David, of the uh, the massive success that you've had. You run a number of different mandates, and I think um, let's keep it open-ended to the global mandate. Go anywhere, do anything to try to take advantage of and protect in this market. I'm very interested in your thoughts, um, you know, in, in the portfolio leading up to the pandemic and then, you know, maybe some of the surprises that you saw happen. Right. Well, the way that our portfolio is always positioned is that we invest in high quality businesses. Uh, and what that means is that our companies have strong balance sheets, strong profitability, consistent profitability, and that when bad things happen, they tend to outperform. Now, as we all know, there was a bear market primarily centered in the month of March. Uh, The economy went into recession. Uh, The National Bureau of Economic Research has told us that a recession started at the end of February, uh, and they are the ultimate authority on that. Uh, They have also told us that it may be the shortest recession ever, which means that if it breaks the prior record, which is six months, then if it's five months long, then it ends in August. Uh, Since the bottom in the stock market at the end of March, the market has been trading as if a recession is ending. The decline in March was equal to the median decline for a recession, and the performance of the market over the last month or two is consistent with the way that it acts during the last half of a recession. So I wouldn't use words like unprecedented. I would say that like the other uh, three or four recessions I've had to deal with during my career, uh, it's a challenge and we need to act appropriately, but opportunities are also created. Let me use the word surprise uh, because many people, Faisal, when we're talking to them, um, you know, they're surprised, surprised on the way down, they're surprised on the way up. Surprise is a word that gets used often, David. I'm not sure surprise is a word that you would use to deter, um, you know, to describe what's happened. But let's go with that. How would you address somebody who says, I'm surprised? Well, uh, I think the problem is that most people don't know 
a number of the facts I just talked about. In other words, the performance of the stock market when you go into recession and how it acts as a recession is ending. For whatever reason, people don't know those historical facts. And uh, Warren Buffett has been outspoken in saying the one thing we've learned from history is nobody learns from history. So I'm not surprised that they are surprised. But certain things were going to happen inevitably. We saw interest rates dive towards zero, and uh, we have an open current account and capital account, which meant that if there were negative interest rates in Europe, there was nothing to stop Europeans from buying positive yielding paper in North America and driving down yields. We knew that Saudi Arabia had ambitions to export as much oil as it could, and that eventually, whenever the economy slowed, they would end up in a price war with Russia. We just approached that by avoiding financial services because of the impact with interest rates and avoiding oil and gas because of the overcapacity. So we don't want to be surprised. We want to try to think about what the reasonable scenarios are that can occur. And then when we are surprised, and I will tell you, I was surprised that we went into a recession so quickly Uh, And I guess the key surprise would have been the lockdowns, because I think this is the first pandemic with such broad lockdowns. And I was surprised because they tend not to be very effective. And I don't know how effective they've been, but it happened and we just remained calm and we reacted to it. So I think also when one is surprised, there's an important key to remain uh, calm and to remain objective because lots of opportunities were created as well. David, we've been working now together for for many years, and we've sat down, we've talked about these sorts of things in the past, Uh, not a pandemic, but in regards to how to stay calm through the process. Something that that happened during this, this, uh, this, this pandemic, when the markets fell the way they did, you kind of went shopping. You kind of went out there and looked at certain companies. And this is why we work so well together in our portfolios. What's some of the, give me some names and some, and there's some rationale about why you bought them during the pandemic. We understand why you stayed away from financials and energy. That makes sense. But what did you go towards? Right. Well, we always have a shopping list. There are companies that we really admire and we may not have purchased them in the past because either we were concerned that things were going to get worse before they got better. So cyclicals would be an example of that. Or they were businesses where the valuation was unattractive, but if they went on sale, we'd buy them. Uh, I think that in the case of valuation becoming attractive, uh, I would mention cloud computing company ServiceNow. Because I think that the the effectiveness of their software, the returns on investment for the clients who use the software is very, very well understood. And it had a very strong valuation, but briefly went on sale during the bear market, and we took advantage of that. Then there were also companies that we liked that were cyclical businesses, where the best time to buy them is when the economy is weak and when the path of least resistance for the economy is to get stronger. And some companies I would mention in that respect include Lowe's, uh, which, as you know, is a home improvement uh, retailer. And uh, we've seen uh, very strong developments uh, in home improvement as uh, people have literally cocooned. They've uh, stayed at home. They're literally having staycations. There's a lot of do-it-yourself work being done. And uh, business was strong at the beginning of the year, but an opportunity was created when everybody was panicked that nobody could do any construction 
And as everybody got comfortable that uh, the construction trade won't stop and the do-it-yourself would continue, uh, you know, Lowe's has been able to reassert itself and do well. So it, it hasn't been a problem to find quality on sale because when you get the combination of a bear market and a recession, you not only have a buying opportunity in the market, you have an economic opportunity because when you're in recession, the economy is only likely to get stronger as you move forward into the future. So when you when you look at um, other portfolio managers or just portfolios in general, and we get to sit down with a lot of people who look for a second opinion, and, we, and I see uh, – broad-based, multi-industry, dividend-focused investments, but they're down 18 20% still as we speak. And there are portfolios that are not, have not performed like you have. You have a dividend tilt somewhat in your portfolio. What's, what's, the, what's the difference between what you're doing and what a, a, as a typical either index, a shadow index hugger or a or an individual who, or a, a portfolio focused only on dividends? Well, why don't we start with the focus on dividends? It is my prime focus, but, but, as a, but we look at it very differently, we think, than anyone else looks at it. So we are not looking at dividend-paying companies for income. We are looking at dividend-paying companies for growth. And companies that pay dividends... Uh, and grow their dividends faster than their peers are actually the best performing companies as a group. And uh, what confuses people on this is they think, therefore, they're going to get income. And what they're missing is that the companies that grow their dividends the fastest have the lowest dividend payouts and they have the lowest dividend yields. So it's literally those companies that maybe are yielding a half a percent but they can raise the dividend materially as a percentage every year. Those are the ones that are doing really well. The companies with the above average yields that are struggling to generate enough cash to service their dividends, well, that's not a good performing part of the market. So dividends are an important signal, but if you want to use that signal to find growth, you can't get this above average income that people focused on. So when you say that there are people with dividend strategies that have had unsatisfactory results, the answer is they likely focused on a high income portfolio of companies struggling to generate enough cash to pay an unsustainable dividend. And we've seen a very substantial number of dividend cuts. We've seen companies omit or eliminate dividends. And uh, that has affected the companies with the highest dividend yields no more, I think, than any other part of the market. David, we're going to take a quick break in a minute, but I think that particular one-minute segment you just had probably (laughs) caught a lot of people's attention and surprised a lot of people. So having said that, um, we're going to take a break in a minute, but we do have to remind everybody about our upcoming seminar. Yeah, so we're going to talk about this type of strategy, how you actually invest profit and protect through these types of markets how do you provide income for the rest of your life? And we're going to do that on our webinar on Tuesday, July 21st, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, if you want to understand how to take advantage of what's coming into the future from a guy who's done uh, done a great job through this period, stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR. We're talking about the surprises, the pandemic, how to take advantage of it, how to miss 
uh, the pitfalls that so many people have fallen into a really, really strong piece. Um, and David Fingold has agreed to stick around to chat a little bit more with us. Now, David Fingold is a vice president and senior portfolio manager of Dynamic Funds. And um, David, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. Okay, so you've done a fantastic job of identifying areas of the market um, where there's been opportunity and avoided some of those pitfalls and uh, a solid strategy. I'd love to you to crystal ball gaze a little bit. Um, let's talk about on the go forward basis. What do you see? Well, I believe we're exiting recession. I, I would suggest that the National Bureau of Economic Research is very likely to declare August 31st to be the uh, end date on the recession. And I think the only risk factor on that would be if there's something completely unforeseen. For instance, I remember the economy was getting better in the second half of 2002, and then we moved towards the second Gulf War, and that delayed the recovery by a few months. But barring a completely unexpected event like that, I believe the economy is sequentially getting better. Uh, I also believe, though, that a number of the major changes that were going on in the economy prior to this year's events are just going to accelerate. For instance, uh, one of them is this whole issue of teleconferencing and video conferencing Uh, perhaps having permanently impaired the value of the travel and hospitality industries. Because I think we've all come to learn that we can do business over a video conference and that there was a lot of unnecessary business travel. And that doesn't speak well for the long-term prospects, for instance, for hotels and airlines. Uh, We also have an overhang on the hospitality industry until we have uh, dealt with the pandemic and everybody is comfortable that they can go back to cruise ships, casinos, theme parks, restaurants, etc., with or without the social distancing. It's only when the public is comfortable that that can recover. And I think the other important uh, issue is a lot of people have felt that shopping malls and that office buildings were bulletproof asset classes. And, you know, even the people who are resistant to shopping online have now learned they can get everything they need without leaving their home if they want to. And all of us have learned to work from home. So I would just hate to own an office building because we don't need to go into the office as much as we used to. So I I see those as uh, important changes. And by the way, they're not new changes. The technology that made this possible was already causing business to be soft in those industries last year, and it has only accelerated, and I don't know why it will change. I mean, we've gotten so much of our lives back that we spent commuting and traveling. I don't know why we would change our behavior in the future. David, it sounds like you're uh, you're talking about the FANG stocks when you talk about Facebook and Alphabet and Netflix and Amazon and all that stuff. Like, you're... you're it sounds like we're just going there. And, and, and that's been very popular in recent years and have done very well as, as, a, as a rate of return on those individual companies. Are we just going to focus on the FANG stocks or do you find other areas that, that are more attractive? Look, we own a number of those companies and we like them, but we think that where we can add more value is by finding beneficiaries that other people may not have thought of. So, for instance... All of that, the storage and the compute power to do cloud computing comes from certain gatekeepers. For instance, you need ASM lithographies, photolithography spreads in order to make the leading edge wafers for those chips. 
Nikon and Canon weren't able to move below 20 nanometers, so ASML completely dominates that market. Uh, we also own a Japanese company called Hoya that makes the photo masks uh, for lithography at all the leading edge nodes. So it really doesn't matter where we're going with electronic technology. We think these are literally the pick and shovel companies of this. So let's think back to our you know, basic understanding of finance, uh, which is literally, as my late father would say, the real money in the Klondike being made selling the picks and shovels. So yes, we own and love Amazon and Google and Facebook, but where do they have to go to get the picks and shovels to build their businesses where they don't have much choice about suppliers? Uh, ASM lithography and Hoya are good examples of where they simply don't have a choice. And wherever possible, we want to go where there isn't a choice. I mean, we could be talking, for instance, about where vaccines could come from or where treatments could come from. And it could be for COVID or could be for any number of ailments. But if you want to get that drug manufactured, you probably need to buy supplies from Sartorius Stedham Biotech for the filtration systems or for the, 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 the uh, single-use processing vessels to make a biotech drug. And Sartorius really dominates this business. So wherever possible, we like to focus on the picks and shovels. And David, just in follow-up to that, your comments there, and you may have um, effectively addressed this, but uh, you, in some of your mandates, have a global go-anywhere mandate. I'm curious uh, to get your take on on what areas geographically you're seeing the best opportunities. Uh, it, it's a tough question to answer because we don't look at the world on a geographic basis. What we actually do is we look for great businesses, and then we go wherever we need to go to find them. So I just mentioned a Japanese company, uh, Ahoya. I mentioned a Dutch company, ASM Lithography, a French company, Sartorius Stedham Biotech. If there had been an American company that was comparable to that, and, and I don't think there is an American company comparable to any one of them, we would have looked at it. Uh, so we're not really looking on a geographic basis. There's, a, there's another company we like called Teradyne, and one of the things they do is they build small robots. And a lot of people are talking about how you facilitate social distancing in a factory. And, uh, you know, people like to say robots don't catch viruses. So there could be a very strong market for these small robots. And in that case, it's an American company. So we're not really looking at the countries where companies are located. We're looking at the, the business, its prospects, the quality of management, you know, whether we see tremendous demand for their products that other people haven't factored into their view of the company. And then the country mix kind of ends up what it is. Now, I don't want to say it's willy-nilly. We're never going to put the whole portfolio into Japan. All right, we will look top down and say, do we have an appropriate exposure to Japan? But we're never going to, you know, say, oh, I like Japan. Let's go pick some Japanese companies. So we will use that country view for risk management to make sure that we have a good diversification of countries. But uh, we're never going to say, you know, I love Britain. Let's go find some ideas in Britain. David, we have under one minute to go before we have to go to commercial break. Give me three tips for investors that you would see that they could use going forward? <laughs> well, number one, more than anything else, get a financial advisor. 
I can't believe that this is even a debate. The data shows over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years that clients with a financial advisor do so much better than the ones who try to do it alone. And have a plan, think long term, and then I just say as a a mission statement, invest in quality. And this is uh, not easy to do because uh, Merrill Lynch every quarter downloads all the holdings of all the portfolio managers available to U.S. residents, and most of them are overweight, low-quality issues. And then they go and they tell their clients they bought quality. So I don't know if they're lying to themselves. That's not my concern. But you want to make sure if you're trying to buy quality that you're getting quality. So working with your advisor to do the due diligence to make sure you're getting the quality you're looking for is really important. David, there's, uh, in the last two segments, there's, a, I think, a ton of good stuff for people to think about. I want to thank you for condensing it, putting it in plain English, helping us understand where we've been and where we're going. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me on. All right, before we wrap up this segment, um, Faisal, we've got to take all of this stuff and condense it and put it into, as David said, a plan. But it's not just an investment plan. It's a lifestyle plan, right? Much bigger than that. We're going to talk about that our upcoming summer. Yeah, that'll be on Tuesday, July 21st, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, stick around after the break. And talking to your advisor actually ruin your retirement. We'll tell you more. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Faisal, I teased before this, uh, the break here or in the last break, um, a little bit about can talking to your advisor ruin your retirement? Ah. I was being a bit cheeky there and trying to get people's attention, but um, it speaks to some conversations that we've had interactions this week with, with clients and some interesting outcomes and it, it really speaks to the issue of, of specializing in retirement. What does that mean? Is retirement just an investment portfolio? Are we doing siloed thinking? So we're gonna, I want to discuss all of those different things. And we've had some interesting conversations with people that can demonstrate what we, what we mean by that. You know, Dave, you're talking about um, talking to your advisor can ruin your retirement. I think we can also say what you don't tell your advisor. Yeah can ruin your, your retirement. I think, and let's talk about uh, a, a client that we had a conversation with this week. And you and I had our video conference with, with this couple. They, we've done their retirement plan. We've got the numbers down. Yes. And we've, we've figured out that, you know, they've got, they've got some other areas we need to talk about. And so we, proactively said let's talk about your estate plan your legacy bucket and let's talk about your health bucket in the event uh, you're as you're aging you need long-term care or home care how are we going to pay for it and those are the two topics that we wanted to have with them and and what came out of that we we first went through their documents on the on the will the power of attorney the personal care directive we had some questions for them um, they didn't understand exactly what could go wrong, so they've gone back to legal counsel to get that amended and, th- and talked about. We talked about healthcare and their fears and concerns about healthcare. What we didn't talk about, but was raised in the conversation, meaning we didn't proactively mm-hmm. talk to them about, was their fear of this pandemic on their adult children. 
you and I were already having the conversation about how we're going to dedicate their assets to the legacy and health bucket. And what was a concern of theirs was what if they have to support their adult children through this pandemic? And so we had to make a bit of a change on the program or the process because of this new fear. And how do we plan that? What's the strategy behind it? It speaks, it speaks to a whole bunch of the issues I raised at the top, this, this particular conversation, which is why it stuck out in, in our minds. I, I felt at the end of it, it was incredibly fruitful because at the end of the day, a lifestyle plan has to accommodate, you know, the extended family and all of those things that are important to a couple. Mm-hmm. And you have to recognize that it's dynamic. It changes, right? Clearly, there wasn't a pandemic five months ago, and this was something that came up. So I want to, Faisal, I want to remind people. So where I was being cheeky um, on, on the tease to the next segment is, and we have said this time and time again, that retirement is not, um, is not about just investments. It's much, much, much broader than that. So we always stress the fact it's process. And so what was interesting in the process that we went through is working through the financial plan, um, you know, getting some of the initial answers to the questions. Can we do it? Do we have enough? Great. You've got more than enough. What does the next step look like? What does the tax impact look like? All of these conversations started to, to, to happen in the, in the context of the normal process. But what happened in the context of the normal process is something materially changed. In this family's life, what materially changed is we've got some children that are potentially exposed because of the industries that they're in and what's happening in the global environment today. It happens to be a pandemic, but take pandemic out and insert something else 10 years from now, right? Five years from now, whatever it is. The process, though, of the engagement of that conversation and, and them understanding what we're trying to accomplish with them beyond just what stocks and bonds you should own led to that conversation, and it adjusted the plan. You know, I think that's where talking to your advisor can ruin your retirement. When you just talk about one siloed topic, and most Canadians will speak to their advisor about one thing in specific, which is their investment, their portfolio. How's it going? What do you think? They might have some political conversation, some economic conversation, potentially forecasting on certain things. And if you're not talking about the concerns you have about life in general, because there's no way this couple thought, you know, Dave and Faisal, we might have to support our children. That never came up in the first 10 minutes of our conversation. That was an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And so could you imagine if you do a plan or you're just investing with an advisor, <coughs> excuse me, and you, you are just doing your investments and all of a sudden you need that emergency money and you start to rip it out. And can you imagine if it was in the end of March mm-hmm. and your portfolio is down, whatever it's down and you're ripping money out for that fear that actually came true. Right. No strategy, no plan, no idea that it was happening. It surprises the advisor it's you're in fear as the individual investor but only thing you've talked to your advisor about is the investments and i think this is where sitting down with a specialist is way more important than just sitting down with a money advisor or an investment advisor at this stage of life you know for sure yeah and so 
this is where you need to look at what they do in their process and actually have those questions and answers to those questions about what if something pops up? How do I deal with that? How do you as a advisory team, a specialist in retirement, deal with that? And what are the strategies that you present? It's not just about can I retire? It's how do I deal with those other things? I think this is the time, especially now when we've gone through the pandemic so far, what does a specialist do that's different than what a generalist advisor does? Because our industry does not have the designations out there for a specialist versus a generalist. Everybody says they do retirement. Everybody says they do financial planning. Everybody says they do investment management. It's just not true. I'm going to broaden the conversation a little bit beyond that because this was a very this was a very interesting conversation about a total lifestyle, and, and that particular piece that we've just spoken about their kids flowed out of a much broader conversation. Right? There was no plan to get to that, but it flowed out because of the change. But I wanted let's narrow it down just to investments for a minute because silo thinking can also be a problem there. I had another conversation with uh, with a client this week. And uh, this particular client uses us on a, what I call a mandate basis. So we have an investment mandate with them. Um, in conversation, I don't like these engagements because it misses these big pictures. So I never just have an investment conversation. I'm having a broader conversation with this person and discover that, uh, that the other investment portfolio that she's got, a friend of hers is handling this, is 100% focused in equities. I won't go into the details of all of it. But I said, well, what's your plan? What, what is your overall asset allocation strategy and what are we trying to accomplish here? And she kind of hummed and hawed on the other end of the line. I said, you understand that you've chosen the role of a chief investment officer. You have to manage the strategy across these different, as I call them, mandates to ensure that you're accomplishing the right thing. Are you sure that you want the exposure that you have? And we talked about it. And she said, no, I don't want that exposure. Hmm. And I said, Okay. So you need to consider the overall strategy and if you have the skill sets to do that. Now, she's not retired yet, but she is approaching retirement. What happens as you're moving through this? She also owns a business. How is the business related to the overall strategy of your retirement? And, you know, I think, I think the, she, you know, the juices started to flow, right? We made some changes on our side because I said, listen, I can't control whatever's going on in these other areas, but based on what you've told me, and what I know of the objectives, we need to make some adjustments here to compensate for other things you're doing over there. So I go back to the silo thinking, silo in, in any aspect, right? If you're not thinking about this from a lifestyle and a total wealth perspective, you run some very specific risks to either negatively impacting that vision, living that, you know, I, that lifestyle that you want, or perhaps taking on risks in the financial side of your life that are unintended. You know, it comes down to the governance What's the governance of the family? And in, in this situation where you had this client just, you know, they don't, she only uses us for a mandate, mm -hmm. not for the overall strategy, which she's missing out on a whole bunch of, of course, opportunity. Absolutely. I think she's going to realize that all the governance and all the proper way of procedures within her wealth, all the different asset pools she has, she'll need a specialist for that. And when she's ready for us, we'll be there, of course. But I think that's where the, the, the overall strategy comes into play. Okay, so when you talk about overall strategies, four buckets, income, growth, how do you maximize all this? 
and provide a lifestyle that you want through retirement. We're going to discuss that on our webinar on Tuesday, July 21st, 7 p.m. live online. You need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay, let's wrap it up. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Faisal and I look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.